Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the BizCast. I'm Shannon King. Last week, I talked to Larero Engineering Associates, located in Plainville. Senior Project Manager Dr. Brian Geisler introduces us to the air purification system that uses ultraviolet germicidal irradiation, or UVGI, to damage the DNA of viruses as they move through the air in buildings and homes. Field Operations Manager Frank Pazinski discusses the installation of the purification system and what this technology means for the future of not just COVID-19, but all airborne illnesses. And Vice President Ryan Palizzo talks about the importance of having an employee-owned firm and why he's bullish about the upcoming year. If you enjoy this episode as much as I do, please share, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to find all of our episodes at cbia.com. And with that, here's my conversation with Ryan, Frank, and Brian. Can any of you tell me a little bit about your firm, how long you've been a company, how many employees you have, and uh, what kind of work you do? Larera was actually founded back in uh, about 1975. Started out as a really a family business um, by a gentleman by the name of Julian Larero. You know, a lot of people struggle with the pronouncement of our actually of our name. We always like to say it's kind of like Larero, uh, like sombrero. That's one of our VPs up in Massachusetts. Is uh, he sometimes even wears a sombrero. It's very funny actually. But what I can tell you is, is they started out as a very small firm, um, and then they steadily grew. And what they try to do is. Pro- provide what I would call bolt-on engineering services or professional air engineering services, whether it's civil engineering, environmental engineering, structural, mechanical, and electrical. Um, it's a very diverse firm at this point. We have about 200 employees, but the biggest thing I think that separates us is that we're an employee-owned firm. Being an employee-owned firm, you know, whether it's a, a kid right out of college or it's a seasoned executive, they have the same vested interest in the success of the firm. And it really provides a different approach on how we, be, how we become technically accurate and how we provide that bolt-on capacity. Because the level of engagement is far higher than it would be in a traditional setting. Yeah. So if I can ask a follow-up to that, what, what does that look like, employee ownership? Is that just purely um, financial ownership or is there, are there other sorts of programs or other mechanisms that all employees of all different, you know, you said from your newest employee to the oldest employee that's been there the longest by seniority. What are those different things uh, for employees to be owners and fully engaged in the company? From a financial perspective, um, you know, we have a 401k just like anyone else. But in addition to that, you have the profit sharing that goes on from the ESOP. Um, As an employee gets onboarded after about a two-year period, they're vested within the ESOP. So financially, you really have two retirement plans. Um, It's it's actually a pretty remarkable thing. You have, like I said, your traditional 401k, um, which is like any other company or professional services firm. But then on top of it, you have the profit sharing that goes on from different shares within the company. And every year we provide an update on what those shares are worth. Um, each employee is provided a stock certificate. And then should they retire with the firm or move on from the firm, um, they actually take those stock value with them. They can cash out. Or they can uh, sit and hold on to their shares in Larero after they've left the firm and, again, cash out whenever they want. They feel it's time to cash out. So it provides a different 
perspective on what it means to be a part of the company. In addition to that, there are programs like you asked about. We have an ESOP committee, which is very similar to how a steering committee would work. It's made up of all different employees. Actually, none of them are executives. Um, and they communicate directly with the president of the firm and the CEO of the firm or different executives in the firm. And they come up with different things from everything from um, team building events to direction of the firm, how we want to uh, approach different clients, you know, what kind of atmosphere is in the firm. Um, we address challenges. We benchmark, you know, other companies that we think have, you know, a, a great program and, and internally. It's very, very communal in the fact that, you know, everybody has a voice and not one person is just steering the company. It's absolutely what I would call a village approach. That is extremely interesting to me because I don't know of many companies that that have that kind of setup, but I think that's incredibly interesting that each employee has their own stake, stake in the company, how, yeah. how, well, how well it they do. If you could sort of compare your firm to maybe other firms or even just other companies in general, maybe not even in your industry, what difference is made in your bottom line and uh, your business decisions because of this employee engagement, because of this ESOP? You know, is there more engagement? Is there more ROI, more customers, better customer service? Like what, what have you seen because of this structure? So I can tell you that, you know, when it comes to looking at things like a P&L or, you know, a bottom line, like you asked, we spend a significant amount of money on what I would call professional development. We invest quite a bit of money at our costs, not our clients, on developing employees, um, both their technical skill sets and also um, their soft skills from a leadership standpoint. Lots of people are born with, you know, what I would call exceptional leadership qualities um, or whatever those qualities that are considered a value for you know driving a group to success and delivering a fantastic product but some employees it's not that they're not born with those soft skills or anything like that they just you know they've never really experienced something like that so we try to provide that value as well and provide a forum where it's a learning environment and everyone is learning from each other uh, on a variety of different topics so that professional development is time where you do not bill the client. That's, that comes at our overhead, at our cost. So yes, if I did not spend that money, um, that's absolutely profit. But it's, I don't look at it that way. I still look at it like it's profit because it's money well spent on our employees. Our employees are the, are the people that service the client. Yeah, absolutely. I, I find that so interesting. So I also wanted to ask you about the air purification system that you've been designing and installing. Um, it uses ultraviolet germicidal irradiation, or UVGI. Hopefully, I didn't butcher the uh, the pronunciation of that. So, can you talk about what this technology is, and is this a new technology, or has it been used in the past, but now, especially with the pandemic, uh, coronavirus, as we know now, is mostly a respiratory illness that is spread through respiratory droplets. Um, and obviously, HVAC systems carry those droplets and the air that we breathe when we're in buildings. So can you talk a little bit about that technology and uh, the history of it or how it's been developed and how you guys have utilized it for clients? So I'm glad that you asked us to, to discuss that. Um, with us today are um, two individuals that, in my opinion, do a great job at representing what that, what that means. We live in a culture where 
science and technology and the experts associated with it are usually heavily credentialed individuals. We have one of those individuals today. His name is Dr. Brian Geisler. Brian will discuss the, you know, the background on UBGI and some of its applications. I also have another individual who I think is just as much a technical expert. The difference is, is he's a skilled trades individual. Um, we, in the past as a society, have looked at skilled trades, not necessarily as something that is, you know, what I would call a technical expert. Um, Frank Pazinski is someone that my family has known for a long time. He's a licensed state plumber. Um, he has UVGI installed in his home residence. Um, he's very, very well versed <clears throat> in a variety of skilled trades, whether it's HVAC, plumbing, um, metalwork, or what I would call tin knocking, which is the nickname for the trade, welding. Uh, and we actually hired both Brian and Frank because as a firm, we saw a need uh, for both of those positions to be filled. Quite frankly, I don't like um, subcontracting things out as a firm. So when I see a, a market where we're providing a service to someone, you know, that's subcontracted, rather than go in and uh, adopt that value stream, you know, externally, I try to go and source a head or head count that could provide it internally. Um, I come from a manufacturing background. So when you have an extended global supply chain, you have a higher incidence of having a drop in quality. So you're better off taking that and making it internal as opposed to external. Hence why both Frank and Brian are with us today. Ultraviolet germicidal irradiation is a disinfection method that predominantly uses uh, UVC light. And what it does is damages the DNA of pathogens. So that would be viruses, bacteria, fungal species and it doesn't allow them to replicate. So uh, we refer to that as inactivation. It's been studied since the 1800s. Um, it's been around in ventilation systems uh, since the 1930s. A researcher from Harvard, his name is Wells, uh, utilized the system in the Philadelphia area for school kids uh, during tuberculosis. Uh, and they, he found that in schools that had this system uh, or, or rather schools that didn't have this system were four times more likely to transmission the disease to other students. It's, it's been around in water treatment facilities, specifically since the 1950s, really started getting going in the 1980s and 90s, and it's used in a, a wide variety of things. So food sanitation, it's used in uh, aquariums, and we have four systems that are predominantly used in ventilation. So that's the indug system. I, I kind of referred to the older style that Wells used in the 1930s. It's called our upper room system, portable unit system, which we've designed our own for larger scale facilities that don't necessarily have heating and cooling or you will utilize it in warehouses as well. And then there's a fourth system that won't really do anything for COVID-19 specifically, and that's cooling coil systems. And that's just placed within the air handler or the RTUs to clean the coils in, in lieu of chemicals. Okay, awesome. Um, I, I mean, Frank, you can hop in anytime as well, but a question I had was, do most facilities already have this technology in their HVAC or air systems, 
is this something that new buildings are just always built with or facilities can decide to implement this into their already existing HVAC system? Like how, maybe a better question is, is this required to have when you're building a building or when you're updating any facilities? I'll actually take that one. Um, when it comes to UVGI, it's a relatively new technology, at least in the application that we're discussing it as a firm. It's been around for a long time for water purification, um, like Brian was saying, since the early 1900s. And it's also something that's been applied um, as for residential um, as recently as the 1990s. But in the commercial industry, it is not. So buildings do not have it um, inside of their systems now. And the reason being is there was never ever really a major drive for it. And the benefits of UVGI is that it will literally, as Brian would say, inactivate, which I didn't even know was a word, quite frankly, until he told me, um, it would inactivate the virus on a molecular level. And so whether it's influenza or it's a pathogen like COVID-19, um, we're finding now that in the past, you know, influenza, you know, it was a concern for businesses, but it's certainly not the concern that COVID-19 is. So with the prevalence of you know, so, so many viral or viruses that are airborne and have such a high amount of severity with no treatment available, obviously no vaccine, um, we're looking at how can we go and help businesses put people back into the office, but do it in a safe and ethical manner. And the way to do that um, one way is through UVGI. And so when you have an office, for example, um, you, know, you have ductwork with your uh, with your comfort cooling, you know, whether it's air conditioning, heat, um, it's forced air. And so an individual like, you know, Mr. Frank Pazinski would take the UVGI uh, lighting and install it inside the ductwork. And as air passes by that lighting, uh, the virus that's in the air is rendered ineffective to 99.9% .9 ineffective. And that's on the first pass alone. The second pass, obviously, there is no survivability. So now you also have a situation where we have a lot of um, clients in the aerospace industry um, here in Connecticut in the aerospace corridor. Um, they, have, they do not have comfort cooling in their manufacturing floors. So Lorero has gone and designed a portable prototype that we will be seeking a patent on where it can be deployed inside a manufacturing facility and it draws the air in. My, my dog is scratching his collar. It draws the air in and, uh, and it purifies the air and then comes out the top. And like I said, the big advantage to that unit is it's portable. So you can go and move it to anywhere inside the facility. It can do up to 10,000 square feet. And if I put a bigger motor on it, then I can do a shop floor that's 100,000 square feet. Um, it depends on what the client's needs are. So at Lorero, we try to not only anticipate what the client's needs are, you know, upfront, you know, with what they say their needs are. We're also at the point now where we've evolved to go and try and anticipate the client's needs prior to them realizing it. That's really interesting. So since this pandemic uh, happened, have inquiries for this technology increased? Um, have installations increased? How, how busy have you guys been, I guess, is my question. We are absolutely on the front line. It's, it's uh, a situation, Shannon, where they're, you're starting to see it on, you know, uh, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. Um, you're starting to see it in mainstream media. We have clients now that, you know, you'll have CEOs say, hey, I saw this. And, you know, they'll ask their facilities team internally, how, you know, how come we're not doing that? Or, 
and you have people looking for that answer. How do I put people back into the office? How do I put, how do I get production going again, but without my employees being subjected to, you know, something that is harmful, um, you know, obviously CEOs aren't looking to do that. So, you know, we have calls from municipalities, we have calls from doctor's offices, dentist offices, um, and, you know, they're choosing to go with this technology, but, and it's an investment upfront, it's not a, uh, an investment that'll cripple your stock upfront, but it's an investment that they're communicating to their employees and to their customers. The air you're breathing in this office is free of viruses. They can say that, and it's not, they don't, they're not able to say that because um, you know, Ryan Palizzo says it. they're able to say that because that's the ASHRAE guidelines. Um, ASHRAE is now stating that this is a technology they can use. So what does this air purification um, technology, what does this mean for the future of not only this virus, but any other future pandemic? And um, what does it mean for individuals heading back to work, back to school? What does this technology mean and why is it important for the reopening and rebuilding, especially of our state? You want to take this, Fry? You go ahead. I'll cut in in a little bit. (laughs) So when you think about production, whether it's commercial or it's uh, municipality, state infrastructure, um, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, it's, again, the same concern. You know, how do I get productivity back into the office? How do I get, you know, people's uh, people back in their chairs. At the end of the day, um, this isn't something that's gonna go away. You know, viruses mutate, viruses evolve. Um, I'm not a pathogen expert, but I know enough about influenza like anyone else that your flu vaccine is, you know, 25% infective every season. Um, and it's based off of predicting what strain is gonna be out there. So when it comes to COVID-19, um, COVID-19, whether it's COVID-19, SARS, or any of the other uh, pathogens that we've seen come out in the last 10 to 15 years that end up being airborne, this technology is gonna be something that is gonna be critical. It's uh, absolutely critical to any business that has an office building full of people, um, you know, that has a manufacturing floor, that has people making you know, jet engines or making car parts. Uh, you know, the key to being a profitable business is productivity and employee engagement and it's not going to happen if your employees are out sick or afraid to come to work so a first good first step is purifying the air itself that they breathe um, within you know your facility to uh, piggyback on that earlier ryan mentioned that um, we can design these systems up to 99 percent in terms of inactivation rate he's referring to any pathogen so for this case of covid 19 and you're referring to future pandemics uh, or viral, bacterial, whatever. Viruses are the most susceptible to UVGI, and then that kind of goes up to fungal species are the least resistant to it. So if you're designing it to a 99% inactivation rate for SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, um, you're also gonna have a similar activation inactivation rate for influenza A, any number of viruses, because they're all gonna be similar in terms of genome sequence um, and activation. So this method or this style will be easily transferable to future situations. That's really great to know. Like what we're doing here in Bristol High School today, I'm here with an air balancer 
and along with the UVG protection, um, we are also working to get more makeup air into the building uh, and more air changes in the building, which allows more fresh air in the building, um, along with the UVG and possible fil filtration um, to, as a package for the whole thing. So we're, it's not just UVG, there's other things that we're trying to do um, because not every application is, is made for UVG or filters or whatever. So as a firm, we're trying to look at the whole picture and try to find out what we can do to help our clients um, have better air in their buildings. So last question I had for all of you, I guess, um, how has your firm been since the pandemic hit? Have you been able to work remotely? Has business been disrupted at all? Um, just how have you guys been past six, seven months at this point? So Shannon, you know, to answer your question, um, I always look at how the health of a company is by, you know, the amount of headcount that they have or how many people are employed. Um, I come from an aerospace background, so I spent 15 years at Pratt & Whitney at a variety of sites. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm used to looking at Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, General Dynamics, Airbus, Bombardier, Boeing. Uh, when you look at Lockheed, Lockheed is up headcount. It's actually really remarkable. Um, they didn't have a lot of you know, they obviously had an impact in their manufacturing with COVID-19, but they were able to pivot faster than a lot of other larger companies. Uh, I'm very proud to say that one of the other companies that was able to anticipate COVID-19 and they have the agility to pivot quickly is Lorero Engineering. Uh, we're up 5% since January of this year in headcount. We instituted plans like flexible work weeks for our employees. Uh, my employees, some of them are working from home. Some of them are in the office. It's based off of their comfort level. A lot of the services we offer are portable. So it's not something where an employee has to be sitting in a chair, you know, in an office or at another loca at a location where the client is dealing with COVID-19. But we're also an essential business. We have clients in Texas right now um, that need service, um, that need help. And so we take the appropriate steps, but the big thing is we allow our employees to have a choice on whether or not, you know, what their comfort level is and how they work. And it's something that I'm very passionate about uh, because I think it actually makes us better as a firm and it's certainly made us very profitable. Brian, Frank, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think Ryan pretty much summed it up. Um, we. Like you said, the company's been great with giving all the employees the flexibility of what likes of working from home, coming in the office. And uh, a lot of the work that we do is essential. So we're allowed to go out, we're using all the proper protection, um, face coverings and, and you know, uh, Pratt would need those temperature checks. So we're all being as safe as we can out there. So until um, this thing gets figured out. Yeah, absolutely. Well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today, talking about this technology and how you guys um, have really thrived during this really uncertain time. So kudos to all of you and your work. And of course, wishing you and your families and the rest of the employees uh, the best of health. So thank you. For the latest COVID-19 information, visit CBIA.com. Follow us on Twitter at CBIA News and on Facebook. Call us anytime at 860-244-1900. Stay safe out there.